Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Roar. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined today by my co-host, Matt Filippovitz. Matt, what's going on? Bill, I want to start the pod by apologizing for no episode last week. I have been sick for the last week. This is like the first day I'm feeling like myself again. Uh, and I'm excited to talk about what has been a very busy, like, 10 days or so for Penn State football. Yeah, uh, what's... When was what was our last episode? It was the day Kodal, that Kodal Nikki got hired. Yeah, that mm-hmm. mixed with the bowl announcement. So it's been about you like you said, ten days, two weeks, something like that. And in that time, like Matt has mentioned, a lot has happened in the world of Penn State football. Uh, if you're looking for a bowl preview, we're going to be doing that a little bit later in the week. Uh, might have might have some help as we do that, but we'll. We'll, we'll see if we can get some stuff organized there. But that'll be coming a little bit later in the week. We're not going to be talking about Penn State's Peach Bowl matchup against uh, Ole Miss now. Instead, we're going to talk about guys leaving for the NFL, uh, announcing they're going to the NFL, which we'll get to at the end of this podcast. Uh, the transfers that Penn State has brought in, we're recording this at 3.30 uh, on Sunday afternoon. So Penn State just landed a uh, commitment from a walk-on kicker transfer and there's one or two other guys that were uh, one or two guys we're going to be discussing in this but before we get to this we get to all that we haven't podcasted since Manny Diaz announced he was leaving for Duke and a couple of hours ago uh, starting with Pete Thamel of ESPN and since uh, getting reported by a number of folks in the college football world, in the Penn State world, etc., cetera, uh, it was announced that James Franklin is trying to make a very similar hire uh, in who is going to be replacing Manny Diaz by going and hiring Tom Allen, the former head coach of Indiana, who just got fired this past, uh, you know, over this offseason. So Bad we'll King get to Tom the- Allen. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll certainly uh, get to why Matt said that in a bit. But before we get to that, Matt, uh, Manny Diaz, like we mentioned, gone. Uh, were you surprised by Manny going? And what were your thoughts on him leaving for Duke specifically? No, I talked about it actually with Nick on the Michigan State recap podcast that when Duke came open, it felt like the perfect fit. They're a program that's comfortable hiring a defensive-minded head coach like they did with Mike Elko. It's an ACC job, so it's a Power 5 job. And it's the kind of program that I think was willing to take a risk on Manny Diaz. Like, Diaz's tenure at Miami was not really a failure, but it didn't really pan out like everybody hoped for. And if he was going to get back in the head coaching ranks, that felt like a job that had realistic expectations for what Diaz could do. So... It's a bummer that Diaz couldn't stick around for one more year, especially with the playoff expanding, but I'm so happy he gets to go to a job that I think is going to be really great for him to build up to getting back to Manny Diaz, the name, being revered as one of the top head coaching candidates in the market. I think he's going to have a really great tenure at Duke, and I really hope he gets another shot at one of like the big 1A jobs out there one day. Yeah, I, I think it could be really easy to forget might not be the right word, but there are a lot of guys who really relish the opportunity to be a head coach, partially because of just what that means, you know, the the status of it, the gravity of that kind of job. And 
these dudes are really competitive. Like you do mm-hmm. not get to this point unless you are an incredibly competitive person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with Manny Diaz, he's had one head coaching career in his entire uh, coaching career, dating back to when he first got into it as a GA at Florida State. And it was with his hometown team. It was uh, playing for the team in the city where his dad was the mayor, like all these sorts of things. And he got, uh, you know, he literally backed out of taking a different head coaching job, like three weeks after he got it Mm -hmm. to take this job. And he was fired in a very unceremonious way. So for him to, after not deserving it, like Miami thinks there's something different than what they are. Like Diaz was building something special there. I think that was even all these years later, I still think he really got the short end of the stick there. I won't even say he was building something special. I mean, I I just think that if you're firing a coach for going 21 and 15 over three years and 16 and nine over three years, you better um, have something better for sure in line something better for sure. And in his two years, Mario Cristobal has gone five and seven, seven and five, three and five, three and five, like whatever that that, that's a conversation for a different day. But Mm -hmm. after all of that, Manny getting a head coaching job doesn't surprise me at all. No, Manny only being here to, it was always a bit of a marriage of convenience between uh, Manny Diaz and Penn state football. Like, I think we can all agree on that. And the only reason I was surprised about Duke specifically uh it's in the acc it's in a conference you know so certainly uh that's a big part of it but in a state he knows he was the nc state defensive coordinator yes. like over a decade ago too yeah he was in the in the research triangle uh for a bit as G, uh, he actually got his first full-time coaching job he was a ga at florida state and nc state before becoming the linebackers coach at uh nc state in 2002 uh but he The only reason I was a little surprised it was Duke was because Manny is such like an intense dude, such like a football guy that I'm surprised he went to one of the like three to five schools in America that I think you can objectively point to as a basketball school. But maybe, you know, kind of going to what I just said about how competitive all these guys are. Maybe he maybe that's a challenge, challenge uh, quotation marks that he wants to embrace. So. I, I, I'm, I'm really happy for it. I, like, I, I'm sure you're the exact same way here, Matt, but like, I'm, I'm stoked. Like I, I never, I never thought this was going to be a thing where Manny Diaz is here for five to seven years and no. then takes a new job. Like I, I'm stoked around. I'm, I'm excited to see what he's able to do at a place that like you mentioned, do, it's gone from one of the most dire jobs in all of college football to a place that has had a little bit of success over the last few years. Yeah. I mean, look, I mean, what Diaz is able to do there is really going to be expanding on a culture Mike Elko built built of defense first. And after the past two years, what player wouldn't want to play for Manny Diaz? So again, just thrilled for him and his family. Uh, it always marriage of convenience. I think though is a great example. Manny Diaz and Big Ten football doesn't really make a lot of sense. And I'm glad that Franklin was able to show that you can come to Penn State build your brand back up for a couple years, play some really good ball, and then get right back out there in the head coaching ranks. That's the sign of a good head coach and a good program. So thrilled for Manny Diaz, and I I wish him nothing but success at Duke. Yeah, and even beyond that, um, speaking of uh, wishing guys success, Penn State, again, James Franklin followed the exact same playbook in who he decided to hire 
to replace Manny Diaz, uh, going and hiring Tom Allen, the uh, former head coach at Indiana. Prior to that, he was their defensive coordinator, took over uh, as their head coach um, after Kevin Wilson either got fired or resigned, whatever whatever it was with Kevin Wilson. I don't remember. That was weird. Yeah, I don't remember exactly off the top of my... Uh, so, yeah, he was resigned. He... Yeah, okay. Uh, but yeah, prior to that, defense coordinator at South Florida bounced around a few times, came up from the high school ranks to the lower college ranks, eventually broke through at uh, a uh, G5 school at Arkansas State before becoming linebackers specialty coach in 2012 at um, at Ole Miss. And now he's in Happy Valley. And Matt, I think the thing with hiring Tom Allen was – well, we'll start here. Did you like this hire? Do you like James Franklin, again, following a very similar playbook and getting uh, Tom Allen to be his new defensive coordinator? I think, Bill, I think Tom Allen came on our radar about 10 days ago um, when Tom's son, Thomas Allen, uh, followed the Blanc account on Twitter. Uh, Thomas, yes. if you're listening, come on the pod. We'd love to have you uh, and talk IU football and Penn State football. Um, yeah, so man, just when- shoot, shoot, us a, shoot us a DM. Like, we mm-hmm. will happily get you on here. For sure. Um, so when we got the follow from Thomas, I think you and I both were like, huh, that that's interesting. Because this was, again, more than a week ago when that happened. And since then, I've been really thinking about what does Penn State need out of its next DC? Obviously, you if Dex would have gotten the job, I feel like it would have been very similar to Pry, where it would have been a really great hire and the defense would have hit a lot of very important marks under him. But I think Franklin really liked the head coach of the defense mentality. Mm -hmm. Manny Diaz got to run that room however he wanted to for two years, and Franklin got to go and build the program up from the external perspective, like by talking to Pat Kraft, fundraising, getting alignment, all that kind of fun stuff. Tom Allen ran a very successful Indiana football program for a long time. His players, Bill, you've shared a lot of videos just in a couple of our Slack channels over the past couple hours of Tom Mm -hmm. Allen's players clearly loving playing for him. So right there, you're bringing in a guy who's a player's coach, who's still pretty young. He's only 53 years old, which surprised me. It feels like he's been around for forever. And a guy who's built defenses up to be able to go out there and play pretty well against the big dogs in the Big Ten. So right there, I just love the fact that Tom Allen's going to get to be the head coach of the defense. He's going to get to coach players he frankly just couldn't get in Indiana. And I think his familiarity with the league is going to be really valuable for a lot of these guys. Because if Penn State's going to take that next step, they're going to need to get over these humps in the Big Ten. And I think Tom Allen can help get them there. Yeah, I I, I was a big fan of the hire because I think that I think that when you look at Tom Allen's Indiana, the issues that he always seemed to have at least in my read on it, in my talking to Indiana fans, it was never, hey, brother, are you able to sit down? Are you able to coach up a defense? Are you able to put pieces in place? Are you able to do this and this and this? The man just knows how to coach a coach defense. He is, mm-hmm. uh, you watch Indiana's defenses, they were always really unique in where they're bringing their pressures from. They're always really unique in how they're, uh, lining up if you go back and watch the Penn State and Indiana game a little bit obviously there were uh 
there were reasons why that game was so difficult for Penn State coming off of the Ohio State game. But you go back and look at that game. Penn State, 342 yards of total offense. Uh, They had 3.1 yards per rush, 6.8 yards uh, per pass attempt. Uh, And that includes the big 57-yard catch that Keandre Lambert-Smith had. So they they did a pretty good job for most of the day bottling up uh, and admittedly not great Penn State passing offense. But you look at what happened in that game and it really seemed like Drew Auer was just seeing ghosts. And I don't know... I don't know how much of that is just coming off the heels of what happened the week before and him just being in some kind of a funk, et cetera. And how much of that was uh, just Tom Allen and the defense that he was able to put together at Indiana. And I say all that to say this, I like this higher because again, in my reading up on Indiana football and my talking with Indiana fans, the complaint never was the you know, the defense doesn't know what it's doing. It never was. It seems like the players have quit. It never was these sorts of things. It was Allen just doesn't really have the head coach thing about him. And Mm -hmm. he doesn't have the CEO thing down. Mm -hmm. He's a good, you know, every, there are a lot of people who complain about James Franklin, not being a great game day coach, but being a great recruiter, being a great uh, ambassador for the program, all these sorts of things. It seems to me, in my understanding of Tom Allen at Indiana football, the CEO thing wasn't really his strength. The Mm -hmm. delegating things wasn't really his strength. Mm -hmm. His strength was, I'm going to put a defense together that uh, greater than the sum of his parts, if you want to say that, I think that's fair. You look at some of the the numbers in Indiana's defenses haven't always been great over the years, but it's not like he... It's also Indiana. Like Think about what we're we're talking about here. Yeah, Indiana's defense is... We're frequently going up against, uh, you know, they were in the Big Ten East. They were going up against three of the, you know, five to seven best programs in college football with players who had to play above the level that they are maybe used to playing in these sorts of games. I'm trying to I'm trying to do this without sounding like I'm arrogant about their players, their team not being particularly good because you watch and there were games, there were stretches where they were a pretty good defense. They had a lot of ball players on those defense mm-hmm. over the years. T Gray Scales, Taiwan Mullen, like they were ball players on those teams. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a linebacker play over the years uh to me was always kind of their strength. You mentioned Scales, uh Micah McFadden is in the NFL, Cam Jones is in the NFL, Jason McCullough yeah. transferred to uh Oklahoma, Aaron Casey has been pretty good over the last couple of years. So I think what James Franklin was trying to do here, and this is why I think I like it is, or I like it a lot is he was taking a guy, he's dropping him into a really good infrastructure around him. Other than Manny Diaz, Dion Barnes is back coaching along the defensive line. Terry Smith is still coaching the cornerbacks. Stacy Collins is here uh, coaching up the outside linebackers. Anthony Poindexter is here, uh, still a co-defensive coordinator, but also the safeties coach. So what you're doing is you're taking it, taking a really good X's and O's guys, a really good motivator of players, a guy that players seem to always like and want to play for, again, based on my outsider's understanding of it, and you're putting him in an infrastructure that is really good, really strong, and has been for most 
of James Franklin. Not, not all. There have been some tough years in there. But most of James Franklin's tenure. And I think that is a really good thing for Penn State football. Uh, what I will say, Matt, is that I don't know if I was surprised by it. I don't know if uh, I view this as a bit of a out of left field hire because it, it followed a script that Franklin seems like he wants to follow. But mm-hmm. for, for some reason, Penn State hiring Tom Allen, there's something about it that did make me raise my eyebrow. And I, I can't quite articulate why. Was there? Were you surprised at all by this? Were there any other people that you uh, wanted Penn State to hire? Uh, you know, anything like that? I mean, there's the Dex of it all. Like, you, mm-hmm. Dex is going to be a head coach one day. Like, I, I think that's abundantly clear. The players love him. He's wildly respected in that room. There was also the Jeff Collins of it all, the guy who I think was hired by Pat Kraft to be Temple's head coach to replace Matt Rule all those years ago. But Tom Allen, you know, you, you just take this step back and it makes sense. And Franklin, between the Tom Allen hire and the Andy Kotelnicki hire, he's bringing in guys who routinely raise the floor of their programs. And Penn State's floor is already really high. So I'm excited to see what these guys who routinely coach at, for lack of a better term, broke FBS Power 5 schools, they brought them to new heights. Indiana in 2020 was a revelation. I think they would have been great even without like the COVID asterisks, if you want to call it that. Indiana sure. won the Big Ten East unofficially that year. The, the conference changed the rules to let Ohio State in, if you remember back to those years. So between Tom Allen and Andy Kotelnicki, I'm noticing a shift now for James Franklin in bringing in guys who do more with less and letting them have these resources they've never had before and seeing if that translates now to performing at the highest level of the sport. And that's why I think the Tom Allen hire makes a lot of sense. And the more you think about it, the more it doesn't really surprise me. He brings in an experienced head coach who now can go out there and do the thing he does best. And that's coach defense. Yeah, it's, it's the head coach of the defense thing. Uh, Mm -hmm. I, I really think that, I really think that this hammers home in the event that hiring Andy Kotelnicki, if that didn't hammer it home and hiring Manny Diaz, that didn't hammer it home, et cetera, that Franklin really is trying to lean into and have it be kind of like the defining principle of his coaching staff. You're coming in and it's going to be your thing. I will do my stuff as the head coach. I will help with the game day decisions. Let's go for it on fourth down. Let's, uh, you know, let's go for two here. What's this? What's this? What's this? I will do the recruiting. I will do the building up the program. I will be the face of the program. I will do all of this. And in the middle of all of this, you are able to sit there and just coach football. And I think that for a guy like Tom Allen, again, you look at his path, uh, Temple Heights High School, Temple Heights High School, Armwood High School, Marion High School, Ben Davis High School. Wabash, uh, Lambeth, Drake, like his path to becoming a power five football coach was at a lot of places where you had to just roll your sleeves up and get to work coaching football. And I think in coming to Penn State, he is going to get an opportunity to do just that. I was a little surprised that Allen uh, didn't end up just kind of kicking his feet up 
uh, relaxing, taking a year or two. He was, he, he's been a football coach every year dating back to 1992. He was the head coach in Indiana for one, two, three, four, five, seven, seven seasons yeah. plus an inter plus one bowl game. Uh, Zach Osterman of Indy star reported that it won't, that hiring Tom Allen won't reduce Indiana's financial obligation to him. Uh, he got a reduce in a restructured buyout, but they are going to owe him whatever they were going to owe him no matter what. So it would have been very bad King yeah. Tom Allen. Absolute mm-hmm. bad king. So it would have been very easy for him to just kind of sit home, kick your feet up, recharge the batteries. But this guy is just wired to coach football. And I think that it would have made a lot of sex sense to go with a guy like Anthony Poindexter. Uh, Penn, obviously, Penn State safety's coach, a guy who uh, is going, like you mentioned, Matt, is going to uh, have a head, get a head coaching job. Someday, he's been Penn State's co-defensive coordinator since he's been here. He's been here. It would have made a lot of sense if Franklin wanted to go internal. It would have made a lot of sense if Franklin decided, okay, we're going to we're going to look a little bit outside the box. We're going to look a little bit outside of the box, like we did with Manny. Joe Moorhead, like we yeah. did with, with Manny, if you want to say to an extent, mm-hmm. um, like if you want to say with Andy Kotelnicki, even uh, just because this is the first time this guy is going to be coaching somewhere that doesn't have in quite some time that doesn't have Lance Leipold there. I think that all makes sense, but this is a hire that in trying to piece together in my brain, why I think it was him. I think that like we mentioned the head coach of the defense thing, he's someone that James Franklin has gotten a chance to coach against and see up close and see his strength up coach up close, which means he has done that with both his head offensive and defensive coordinators. He has had to prepare a football team for going up against Andy Kotelnicki's offense. He has had to prepare a football team for going up against Tom Allen's defense. And I think that there is a set it or and forget it thing here with Tom Allen as defensive coordinator, Matt, that just makes this make sense. So when I think of all of this stuff, like, is there any other reason that you could think of for why it might have been Tom Allen? So this is, I'm actually glad you brought this up because I haven't seen anybody talk about this yet, but granted the hire is only, it's not even official yet. It's only just been reported on for about three hours now. We should probably have said that at the top. Um, But there's one thing that I, I think is, you, you made the comment, Bill, about set it and forget it. And I think that's really important for James Franklin in the college football world of 2023. We, we heard him at his press conference yesterday or Friday, I want to say, talk about how hard it is to be a head coach now between NIL, the transfer portal, recruiting, fundraising. This brings in a guy who's done all that. So now the defensive side of the ball with a head coach of the defense, Franklin can kind of let it be and focus on all the other things, maintaining the roster, recruiting the transfer portal, all those things I've just mentioned. I don't know how Tom Allen's going to play into taking things off of James Franklin's plate, but watching a guy who I think is the best Indiana football coach of my lifetime come in, I feel confident that he can take some stuff off of that plate for James Franklin and let him focus on getting over that hump. And that's one thing that I'm really intrigued to see how it develops. What is Tom Allen going to do to make James Franklin's life easier in the things that don't happen in between the lines on Saturdays? I'd be curious to ask Tom Allen what his role is going to be in that. And I'm just hopeful 
that it means that this Penn State coaching staff broadly can exist in a more, how do I want to word this? It can just make James Franklin and that staff's life easier on all of the things that a college football coach mm-hmm. and a college football program now have to worry about. Yeah, I, I mean, having as many, as long as it's not to a point where it's a too many cooks in the kitchen situation, mm-hmm. which I, I suppose that's possible, but James Franklin always seemed like he knows how to keep everyone, you know, keep keep uh, everyone rowing in the same direction, uh, so to say. Um, I, I think having guys that Franklin can bounce stuff off of, have conversations with, and have conversations, you know, he's never had a guy like this who understands coaching in the big, being a head football coach in the Big Ten and mm-hmm. everything that comes with this. In and the Big Ten East. In the Big Ten East. Well, yes. I, I, mean, I get now it's that, going away, but like yeah. James Franklin and Tom Allen have seen a lot of the same things for the better part of a decade at this point. I think that familiarity is going to be really comforting. Yeah. Yeah. So having a guy that he could talk to a bit, having a guy that he can uh, – that he kind of bounce things off of having a guy that, you know, knows how difficult it could be being a head football coach at a big 10 program. I I think all these sorts of things are going to be really helpful for Franklin. I mean, just think of how many times, like, just think of how many times it seemed like having Joe Moorhead around made Franklin's life easier. Cause he's a guy who knows all of what going, what goes into being a head football coach. So, mm-hmm. I, I'm interested in all this. I think it's a really good hire. I, I do want to ask Matt, are, and we'll, we'll needlessly and rampantly and uh, ridiculously speculate here. Do you think this is going to be the kind of hire where, you know, it's kind of like Manny Diaz, where we're going to be looking at this in uh, two years and going, oh, well, again, marriage of convenience. He's now going to go get a head coaching job. Or do you think this might be a situation where he's, um, you know, he, he sticks around for a tiny bit. Again, he's not sticking around for 20 years or anything, right. but he sticks around a little bit longer than that. I mean, he's so young. Like, he's only 53 years old. That's like so mm-hmm. – he is at least 10 more years of coaching in him if he wants it. Um, I don't know. I'd have to – I'd have to really – Manny Diaz made it really clear from pretty early on press appearances that he would like to be a head coach again one day. Mm-hmm. Tom Allen's been there, done that. I'm sure every coach wants to do it. But I'm sure once Tom Allen sees how much fun and how successful he can be as just a very well-paid defensive coordinator, I think that's a really attractive life to a lot of coaches who just want to coach ball. And I think Tom Allen is the kind of coach who can just want to coach ball. So I would put him more in the camp of being here four years than I would of him being here two years, if that answers your question. Yeah. And again, for the third time, you're not doing this unless you're a really competitive person. You're not doing, I'm sure there's probably a little voice in his head going like, man, it would be really nice to show that like I brought Indiana to its ceiling. I could take another program to its ceiling, but that's a conversation for a l- little bit farther down the road. For sure. uh, we'll what, let's now get into the transfer transfers. We'll get into some other things, but before we do all that, uh, on the topic of Indiana football, I actually, uh, one of the first people I heard from uh, in the immediate aftermath of this was the uh, was one of the folks from Homefield Apparel. Homefield, uh, longtime sponsor of the podcast, based out of Indiana there, uh, based out of Indianapolis. Their founder is an IU grad. And he just sends me a text and said, uh, uh, Tom Allen's like big kind of rallying cry is L-E-O, love each other. 
Uh, it was a huge thing that he said or, or got a lot of publicity for uh, during the 2020 season in particular when they had that really good, you know, that breakout year under him. And he just texts me and says, buddy, get ready to learn, love each other. Uh, it was on their helmets. It was on the front of Indiana's helmets. helmets. Yeah. And uh, a lot of IU fans seem like they're really happy that Allen's getting another opportunity somewhere. And that includes the fine folks with Homefield Apparel. Homefield, again, longtime sponsor of the podcast, their premium premium collegiate apparel brand. I, I don't have – Matt, do you have any Homefield on you right now? Because I certainly don't. I do. I am rocking my uh, Take Me to Happy Valley crew neck, uh, one of my nice. favorites in the collection. I was out and about, uh, I think, a week and a half ago at this point, and I saw a Homefield Apparel bomber jacket out in the wild. So that was nice. always exciting. Nice. And like Matt mentioned, crew necks, bomber jackets, T-shirts, long sleeve shirts, quarter zips, hat. Like, if you want it to be in your collection of gear, whether it's for Penn State or for another school, Homefield Apparel has got you. We can't, even if they weren't a sponsor of the podcast, we would recommend anything and everything that you can get from Homefield Apparel. And if you want to be able to get your hands on some stuff from Homefield and you're a first time buyer uh, from Homefield, use the promo code RLR23 for 15% off of your first order. Again, if you've never purchased anything from Homefield Apparel before, use the promo code RLR23 for 15% off of your first order. Thank you, as always, to Homefield Apparel for sponsoring this podcast. And now, Matt, let's get back to talking a little bit of ball. And we're going to go into a different quick, direction. Can I ask you a question? Sure, hit me. It's, it's NFL Saturday, Saturday, LML. It's NFL Sunday right now. Bill, do you know how many yards Chris Godwin had today in the Buccaneers' win over the Packers? 124. More. 150. 155 yards Chris Godwin had on 10 oh, receptions today. Shout out to Chris Godwin. God, I, I, I root for... You know, I don't have an NFL team at this point, so I root for Penn State players. Uh, and I'm very upset that the Kansas City Chiefs didn't trade for Chris Godwin because I I want him on a team where he could, um, where he could go and do some really incredible stuff. But uh, we'll move on from that really quickly uh, to talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, I, I I get very frustrated when I see guys on Penn State in really dire situations, which is a big reason why I wanted the Bills to trade for Saquon Barkley for. Mm years uh but yeah well let's get into talking about the transfer portal penn state has dipped into the portal so far to get a pair of players one is alan heron a uh offensive tackle from D- division two shorter uh university and uh the second uh just learned this about ha- an hour ago uh walk-on kicker named chase meyer who was coming from tulsa and let's start by talking about alan heron matt um D2 uh, defensive, uh, offensive lineman, apologies, coming to Penn State uh, from shorter. He is listed at six foot six, 310 pounds. He is an offensive tackle through and through. I believe his backstory involves him being relatively new uh, to the game of football. What, what sticks out about him in the little bit that we've gotten to see and learn and watch about him? Do you think that Penn State has you know, the the left tackle of the future to replace Olu Fashinu in this guy. So I think there's a lot of value here. Number one, D2 guy coming up with multiple years of eligibility, as well as a redshirt available, uh, also set to arrive uh, in a couple weeks for the spring semester. So right there, you get a guy on the campus, you can decide how you want to handle his development. He has the co- He has the redshirt year, and then two years after that if he wants it. So that's huge right there. You also factor in Olu's going pro. He hasn't said it officially yet, but we feel like we know that. And then Caden Wallace yesterday announced he's going pro. 
right there, two tackles are out the door. And to replace them, you really only have Drew Shelton as a proven commodity at mm-hmm. the at any level of college football. You can kind of count J.B. Nelson in there, but I think he's going to stick a guard through and through throughout the rest of his career. So you're bringing a great depth piece, a guy you can decide if you need him now or if you can save him and play him later. And Penn State has had success of bringing in lower level offensive linemen and turning them into serviceable players. I think with Heron's ceiling, it's a little bit more than serviceable is probably the hope for what he can develop into. But this feels like a great marriage. I love that he's going to get to campus early and then we can kind of just wait and see how it plays out. There's no pressure on a D2 transfer to come in and be an instant impact guy, which I think is the real value in this. Yeah, I agree. I, 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 I'm not going to say exactly what the, uh, the wording of it was. I, Sean Fitz has shared some stuff that makes it sound like there's some real optimism about what he can turn into, Mm -hmm. uh, as, uh, as a football player down the road, but you look at Penn State's roster right now, uh, Chimdi Ono, a true freshman. He's a, who maintains his redshirt. Maintained his redshirt. He's mm-hmm. a tackle. Uh, Alex Birchmeyer, probably interior probably offensive guard. lineman. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, we'll end up seeing what happens with him. Drew Shelton, like you mentioned. Uh, Anthony Donko, we don't know what the future is going to hold for him. And then Javen Williams is uh, the guy. The tackle who, through and through, yeah. Yeah, tackle through and through. Played a little bit this season. I believe he also maintained his redshirt. All four uh, freshmen but, from this year maintained their redshirt. Yeah, and then you look elsewhere on the roster. Kane Wallace announced that he's going to be going to the NFL. We'll talk about that here in a second. And then coming in, they have Garrett Sexton uh, as an offensive line prospect. And I and Egan Boyer is their other offensive line prospect. So it's a very young offensive line room. It's an off. It, it's the one reason why I uh, I don't want to say I'm a little bit nervy about bringing in a division two guy. I just wish with Wallace leaving, they could have gotten a slightly more immediate contributor, but you look at what he has. And they still could. Uh, the, yeah, they, they still could. It's worth that, that that's a good point, Matt, but you look at what they have. They have a lot of young talent along the offensive line with Drew Shelton kind of being the, again, established guy at tackle, you look at what Penn State's offensive line was this season. We believe the left tackle in Olu Fashanu is going to be uh, off to the NFL. Uh, in at left guard, Penn State went with a little bit of rotation with J.B. Nelson. Uh, but I, I haven't seen anything to indicate that either he or um, or Vega Iwane could end up leaving. You look at center, Hunter Norzad is going to be leaving. You look at right guard, uh, haven't seen anything one way or the other on Sal Wormley. Have we seen anything? Well, I, I can't remember off the top of my head, Matt. We have nothing official yet okay. on Sal Wormley. Yeah, and then a right tackle, Kane Wallace is gone. So Penn State's going to be losing a lot off of its offensive line, and that's where I get a little bit of concern about, uh, about one of their additions in the portal being a guy who might be a bit of a project, but I don't, I think it's very easy to very, very easy might not be the right way to put it, but I think when you look at this as an upside swing, you kind of have to take it. Uh, And you look at his offer sheet, Penn state, Miami, Auburn, Clemson, NC state, Texas Tech. There's obviously something here. Uh, Going to be doing a little bit more watching of the film on him, but ultimately, yeah, like it, it's exciting to bring in guys with high ceilings from the transfer portal. And I'm glad Penn State was able to do that here. 
Yeah, again, I think it's a good use of a scholarship. With how young the room is, You're it's a lot of projecting right now across pretty mm-hmm. much every position. So if you can bring in a guy that a lot of other programs feel like has this high ceiling, and again, I cannot stress enough how important I think it is he's getting here for the spring semester because it just gives them time to decide how they want to handle it. Mm-hmm. And then it gives them maybe another shot at a guy when the second round of the portal entries come in the spring. Yeah, and... In a little bit more, um, how, how do I want to phrase this? I don't want to say it's more of a guarantee or anything like that, but uh, Penn State also landed a kicker out of the portal, Chase Meyer, uh, started his career at the University of Pennsylvania before spending this past year at Tulsa. And while at Tulsa, 17 for 20 on kicks, a long of 47, 30 for 31 on PATs. Uh, Penn State also ended did, the year with a game-winning walk-off kick um, to have the is it Golden Hurricane beat ECU. So got that yeah. clutch in them. Uh, Penn State had a lot of success in the portal by going and bringing in Alex Falcons, who, funny enough, is from Tulsa, Oklahoma. So I wonder That's if they're weird. Uh, the Tulsa connection yeah. that keeps happening here is weird. I, w- I wonder if they've uh, wonder if they've ever crossed paths at one time or another. Uh, yeah, Matt, I think this one is. Um, I think it's pretty simple. Uh, Penn State has a scholarship guy in Sanders Sahedek. It has a walk-on guy in Ryan Barker. And now it's bringing in another walk-on guy. Like, I don't necessarily think this says too terribly much in one direction or the other about what they think of the guys they have in their room. Uh, I think it's just, hey, if you can bring in another person to compete for a position that uh, it was a bit of a concern last year, the answer to that is now gone. You might as well go ahead and do that. Yeah, I mean, walk on three to play two. Sanders Haydack's going to be a redshirt junior already. So it's, uh, yeah, I, I get you have a scholarship guy in the room, but competition helps. So now I think you have three guys in that kicking room uh, who are really going to push each other and make each other better. And that's what happened with Falcons and Zahedak last year. Uh, and I'm excited to see what happens next. So again, hopefully you, they don't need him and Zahedak can be the scholarship guy to come through, but it's good to have that extra layer of security. Are you saying that about Zahedak because you actually want him to be the guy or just because he's from the Lehigh Valley? A little bit of both. I mean, if you're going to have a scholarship (laughs) specialist, you want him to be the guy. Like, scholarships are really valuable. I really do hope that he can figure it out. Uh, And he did win the job last year at a camp, but I think we quickly learned that means nothing until the lights come on. So I'm curious to see how this whole thing shakes out. Yeah. Um, That's that's it for transfers. Um, so far. If, if, if you're listening to this and you went to high school not too terribly far from me in central Pennsylvania uh, and you want to commit maybe in the wide receiver room, I wouldn't hate that. Uh, but we're going to be sitting here waiting. Rico Scott uh, from Penn State confirmed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I, I that's a joke. Uh, where, People where, are going to take that seriously. That's a joke. Where did Rico Scott go to Penn State? He committed uh, to Alabama. To but he's, he's committed to Alabama. But from Harrisburg. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, did, I didn't go to high school that close to a. Uh, too particularly close to Harrisburg. I was uh, I was uh, very much in uh, Central Pennsylvania. So what county? Rico Scout. Were you Berks? No, you were Berks County. Were you no, 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 no. I was a uh, Montour County. That was it. Mm, okay. Yeah, I, I think Danville's Montour. It's been uh, quite a while since I lived in Central Pennsylvania, so I don't remember off the top of my head. Uh, but yeah, uh, if you went to Southern Columbia High School and want to come to Penn State now, that would be really cool. Uh, I have just anything else listed here for the end of the pod, Matt. There was something that you wanted to discuss, and I'm just going to kind of uh, roll the ball out here and kind of let you take over as host from this point. 
yeah, start things off. Two portal entries for Penn State. Alex Baquetta. Uh, Bill, allegedly your cousin, um, has now committed to Rice University okay. as a punter. So good for Alex. Okay, so real, let me let me explain that bit. Um, I, I, I think he'll be cool with me saying this, but when he uh, first came to Penn State uh, and he was just this like fresh-faced uh, 18-year-old, Alex reached out to me and said, hey, I have some family um, from... I believe he said Southeastern Pennsylvania uh, with the last name DeFilippo. Uh, do you know if you're related to them at all? Uh, and I, I, I don't think so. I don't know for a hundred percent, but uh, ever since then, you know, I've jokingly referred to him as my cousin. Uh, I, I wouldn't hate it if he was my cousin. He seems like a good dude, a guy who uh, did a lot for Penn State, like you mentioned, Matt, now on the rice. But yeah, Alex, shout out to you. Uh, I, I hope that our paths cross again someday. Yeah, great school. Good for him as a punter. You know, you can find success anywhere. Uh, and he gets to do it in Houston. It's like a cool city and somewhere warm. Uh, and the reason I think Baquetta left is Riley Thompson was granted two additional years of eligibility. Uh, a lot of that, he's an older guy already. I think he's like 22 or 23. Mm-hmm. But with him coming from Australia, his eligibility was a little bit weird. So now we get two more years of Riley Thompson. So Penn State's holder and punter are now both back, which I think is a pretty underrated storyline. Uh, and then Christian Driver also entered the transfer portal, son of Donald Driver. Uh, so the receiver room thins out a little bit, but best of luck to Christian wherever he ends up. Um, that's a guy we're going to root for. He did a lot for Penn State on special teams last year, and I hope he's able to find a spot where he can be uh, productive at wide receiver. So good luck to Christian Driver. Uh, Bill, and now we have NFL draft decisions rolling in. Nobody for Penn State yet has announced they're coming back. Uh, if you want to count Rowie Thompson in that category, <laughs> whatever, do that. But Caden Wallace, Theo Johnson, Curtis Jacobs, and Chop Robinson have all announced they're going to be declaring for the NFL draft. Uh, Chop's done at Penn State, not going to play in the bowl game. That's his decision. No judgment from me. Go get your bag. Totally fine with it. I, I don't I don't get why people care. He, he has money to make. He's got a family to take care of. Go yeah. get your bag. I, I mean... I mean, there. How many pe- How many of the people who have a problem with this are the exact same people who think the season was like a once in a generation disappointment because they didn't make it to the playoff or they didn't win the Big Ten or something like that? Like, I, I, it, I, I don't think you could be one of those people and also be disappointed that the team isn't playing in a bowl game or that a player is not playing in the bowl game. I, like, right. I, I don't think those two things square away. Right. Uh, but Caden Wallace. We'll start off with Caden Wallace, Bill. Fifth year guy, I, I never really expected him to take his COVID year, and, and I really do think he put together his best season this year, and I'm really glad that he now, I think, has a shot to land in an NFL training camp, and where it goes from there, we'll see. But I, I really do hope Caden Wallace can go out there and parlay this season into an NFL future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, uh, I think that as someone who watches a lot of the NFL on Sundays uh, and watches, you know first take and the analysis shows and all these sorts of things, it's pretty clear to me that there is a market for guys who can, you know, they're not even a market. There's like a crisis <laughs> among football fans in how bad backup offensive line play is. And I think that with Caden Wallace, he's a guy that he took a step forward this year, something that was really important for him in having any kind of an NFL future. And if he can be the kind of guy who, whether it's able to be a backup, whether it's able to pinch hit as a starter, maybe he further develops into a starter because he has kind of the physical traits to be a starter, uh, starting offensive line in the NFL. 
I think is a really good decision for him. Like I don't, I don't he think play guard he would have. There's a ton of value in playing multiple positions. Will Fries is starting for the. Colts I was going right to say Will Fries is a really mm-hmm. good example of this. Will Fries has been a really good member uh, of the Indianapolis Colts offensive line this year as a so, guard after playing tackle for mm-hmm. most of his time at Penn State. Yeah, so um, I don't think he was one of those guys who was going to vault himself up to the first round or anything by coming back for another year. So I'm glad. So I think even if he is a day three pick, I, I think he made the right decision here. Agreed. Uh, who do you want to talk about next, Bill? Curtis Jacobs or Theo Johnson? I'll pass you the rock here. Um, we just did. We just did offense. Let's go to defense now. Yeah, Curtis Jacobs off off to the NFL. A four-year contributor here at Penn State will not take his bonus year of COVID eligibility as expected. Bill, I think it very much so an unsung hero of this Penn State defense over the years. He's always played alongside just immensely talented players who I think make more splashy plays. But Curtis Jacobs was a very reliable piece of the defense this year and I think is going to be a day two pick in the NFL draft. Yeah, I mean, coming into this year, um, I remember we did that thing with with who's a player you think is not getting talked about enough in the defensive side of the football. And I said, Curtis Jacobs, Mm -hmm. because there is something for something to the fact that he always just like, you can, you can kind of set your watch to him. Uh, You Mm -hmm. know, he was always, he's just a really reliable player uh, on Penn state's defense. Listen, six, one, 230 pounds is good size, good athleticism this year, 47 tackles, eight tackles for loss, two and a half sacks, uh, recovered a couple of fumbles. He's a guy who just knows how to make those little splash plays. He's, he's comfortable in pass coverage. So you put these little these little bits together with him. Yeah, I, I definitely think a day two guy. I wouldn't be surprised if he's one of those guys who ends up having a really big combine because mm-hmm. he's a really athletically gifted dude. And he's able to parlay that into, uh, oh, wow. I didn't think Curtis Jacobs was going to go that high, but he ended up doing something pretty, you know, going to a good situation a little bit earlier in the draft than I think a lot of people would have thought. Speaking of guys who are probably going to dominate the combine, Theo Johnson. Bill, I think he's a I think he's a fringe day two guy. I think Theo Johnson, again, four-year contributor, guy who really came on strong towards the end of his junior year and had a pretty solid senior season. Uh, and I think he's a guy who's going to add to this long list of Penn State tight ends being productive in the NFL. Yeah, I, I think he he's kind of primed. I think he's primed to be a guy who has a better NFL career than he did college. Yep. Uh, and it's basically because you look at his size, 6'6", 250. Um, his big weakness was his blocking. He wasn't always the strongest and most capable blocker. And in the NFL, that's not as big of an issue uh I, I will say i don't think that that's necessarily guaranteed you look at you know how the nfl career of a guy like mike kosicki is gone mike's mike got paid uh but at a certain point mike kind of you know his career started to go in one direction when it looked like he had gone in another uh so we'll still have to be able to block too. a little bit but with theo's size with his athletic traits with his length with his ability if he goes into a situation that has a really good downfield passing game, I think he's going to have a pretty good career. Um, kind of working. I don't even know if it's necessarily working against him. Uh, this is a pretty good tight end class. I, you you know, at the very top, Brock Bauer is going to be the first tight end off the board. Kuiper has Brock Bowers is the best player in college football, regardless of position. I'll die on that hill. Yeah, Kuiper has him as his um 
Kuiper has him as his number five uh, tight end behind Bowers, Jatavion Sanders of Texas, Kate Stover of Ohio State, and Luke Lacey of Iowa. Makes so, sense. so he, he might wait a little bit to hear his name called, but he's a guy who I think he's got again. He has to shore up his blocking. He has to become a little bit more assertive. I would say in the passing game, but there's stuff to really like about him. For sure. And Bill, of these three guys, I think it's fair to say, we'll, we'll throw a chop in here. Of these four guys, I think Caden Wallace is going to be the guy we miss the most in 2024. Fair to say? Just by nature of what's behind them. We still don't know what's going to happen with Tyler Warren yet, but I think Caden Wallace is going to be the biggest loss of this group. Yeah. Yeah, I would... Uh, at, at this early juncture, we'll see what ends up happening a little farther. I mean, I, I guess technically we should throw... like the obvious guys are included here, Olu chop, et cetera. But if right. we're talking about the guys who had a decision to make and it wasn't like obvious they were going to the NFL the entire time. Yeah. I'd probably say Wallace, but we'll see what like, you know, Daquan Hardy does or something. Yeah. That's a big one. And then bill one last thing before we go, I want to make sure I called this out. Uh, it was winter graduation term this past weekend. Uh, Jordan Lucas, Penn State legend, former yeah. safety, former quarterback, Super Bowl champion with the Chiefs, and a one-time member of my beloved Chicago Bears. Uh, he got his degree this weekend. Congratulations to him. Uh, and then the program posted a photo as well. Guys who got their degrees, Hunter Norzad got his master's degree, mm-hmm. Tyler Warren, Adisa Isaac, Olu, Caden Wallace, Sal Warmly, Keaton Ellis, Jordan Vandenberg, Nick Dawkins, Jake Wilson, and Daquan Hardy uh, all join the alumni ranks as well. So congrats to all those guys. Uh, always cool to see. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think that's a really good note to end this episode of the podcast on. Thank you, everyone, as always, for listening to uh, this edition of Roar Lions Roar. Make sure you subscribe wherever you go and get your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc. Leave us a five-star review if you can. Leave us a question on Spotify. If we can get to it, help on YouTube, subscribe over on YouTube. Give us a follow on Twitter at RLR blog. And as always, thank you very much to Homefield Apparel for sponsoring the podcast. One more time, use the promo code RLR23 for 15% off your first order if you're a new customer to Homefield Apparel. Once again, thank you everyone for listening to this edition of the pod. For Matt Filipovitz, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone. Shout out Seth Lundy, first career NBA bucket this week too. Big week for us.